0: Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, today we are starting a new series on the life of Samuel. Now, I have been wanting to, for a while, start a series on the kings of the Bible. Saul and David and Solomon. And I have been wanting to get into that series, but I think that it is so important for us to be looking at the life of Samuel. You may or may not know this, but Samuel is a major biblical character that I feel like maybe sometimes we kind of gloss over. Because when you read the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you kind of get focused in on Saul and then on David. And that's kind of like who the books are kind of written mainly about. But, But see, Samuel... Samuel plays such a major role because he is a a transitional figure within God's word. Um, You guys may remember this, but in the Old Testament, God's people were slaves down in Egypt. God sends Moses to them. God says, Moses, I want you to go down there. I want you to bring my people out of there, and I'm going to lead them into the promised land. So Moses goes down there. Now Moses doesn't get to lead them into the promised land, but Joshua does. And Joshua leads God's people to the promised land. And God constantly warns Joshua, do not be like the culture around you. See, God's people, they weren't just going into some sort of empty land. It wasn't just like, oh, this was just a desolate place. The Canaanite people occupied that land. And when God's people went in, God said, do not walk how the Canaanites walk. Well, then Joshua dies. And then we get to the book of Judges. And Judges is where this, where like God's people pick up. And it's it's so fascinating because as you read the book of Judges, there's this common theme throughout it. Judges 17 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, this isn't just saying a physical king. That was true. They did not have a king. They had judges coming and ruling and leading them. But at the time of the book of Judges, is as you read that book, what you see is God's people just completely falling apart. And that verse rings true. In the end of the book, it ends really, really harshly. If you want to read some crazy, crazy stories in God's word, read the book of Judges. You will read them, and you will be like, I can't believe this is in God's word. Well, at the very, very end of the book of Judges, there's a civil war. And one tribe, the Benjamites, just get desolated. And at the last chapter in the book of Judges, this story takes place. And because the people were so decimated, the rest of the tribe said, hey, we got a great idea. We need women for this tribe. So what should we do? Well, let's do this. Judges 21, 20 through 21 says this. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. The Bible kind of just glazes over that, but I just want you just to real quick, like, think about what's happening here. The culture just went through a civil war. Not good. Now they said, hey, I got a great idea. These men need some wives. So what should we do? Let's find when these women are out there dancing. Benjamins, I want you to do this. Sit in ambush. Women, is that how you want your man to get you? Man, I was just, I, 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 I wake up every day, Pastor, and I don't have a man, and I, every bush I come across, I just hope there's a man there who will jump out of that bush and snatch me and haul me off to their land. This was the culture that was taking place within God's people. They had abandoned their Lord. And the book of Judges ends with this line. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Take a wife? Seems right. You know, it it seemed logical. They're like, well, these men need wives. There's a dance coming up. I think that's a great time for them to go out there. And, And it was... You, as you read that book, you see that the culture had just totally degraded. And it's really easy to look at the Bible culture, and it's really easy to compare things to within our own culture. But as you read God's Word, and I've said this 50 times here, and I may sound like a, a broken record here, God's Word is constantly warning His people, don't become how the culture is. Every culture is ungodly. American culture, easily. You know, but you can go to African culture, you can go to Asian culture, you can go to Middle Eastern culture. Every single culture around the, around the entire world does not have culturally honoring God within their culture. And God is constantly warning his people, don't become them. Well, the book of Judges is a great example on how all things just kind of fall apart. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I thought we're talking about Samuel. Well, I'm telling you this because this is the environment Samuel is growing up in. Samuel is coming from this environment of there's no king. Everyone does whatever they see fit. If they think this is right and they have convinced themselves that this is right, then they do it. Well, where does Samuel come from? That's what I wanted to talk about today because Samuel, it's a very interesting story on where Samuel comes from. Samuel has a dad by the name of Elkanah, and every year, Elkanah had two wives. That was his first mistake. Let me just point that one out. Um, but it's, uh, we're not going to be talking about the sister wives of the Bible here today, but at this time, he had two wives. One wife was childless. She had no children. The other wife had children, and every year, they would go to the temple and Elkanah would give a double portion in the offering for his wife who was childless because he loved her, Scripture says, and he felt bad for her. While her sister wife, Hannah's sister wife, was brutal. She would provoke her. She would make fun of her. She would harass her. And the Scripture literally says this, that that like Hannah was harassed by her sister wife every year. Now, was there jealousy? Sure. But there was also this sense of, you have no children. And in that culture, she would make fun of her and she would pick on her. And what we are going to see is, how does Hannah respond to this today? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And we're going to rise and we're going to pray and, uh, and, and read 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 20 this morning. And then at the end, we are going to pray. It says this. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am not a woman troubled in spirit. I am a a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I, I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as, as a worthless woman, for as long as I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then, then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house and Ramah and Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you today, Lord. Father, as we look to your word. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would encourage and strengthen your people today. Father, challenge us. Help us to honor you by looking to your word today. Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So the story picks up that just after dinner, Hannah rose and left dinner, and she was, Scripture says, she was deeply distressed and wept to the Lord bitterly. Now, Hannah wasn't just having a bad day here. It wasn't like, oh, I'm having a... A bad day, I should probably go to the Lord. Hannah was living in a terrible season of life. She was childless. Now, for us in modern world in 2022, we don't think much of that. We think, okay, she was childless, who cares, no big deal. But within that culture, we have to remember how important it was for a woman to bear children, especially a male at the time. Because if something happens to her husband— she has nothing. Literally nothing. If she does not have children, she does not have a son who can take up the heir to the family and to provide. It's not like she can just go down to Lowe's and start working and stocking shelves and providing some sort of income. She can't do that. It's impossible. So for, for her, the season of life, we sometimes can just kind of like, oh, yeah, she was, you know, yeah, she was just simply childless. But for her, it was culturally tied in. And then on top of that, her home life, well, that was not, not really a peach there either. I mean, her, her home life, she's got a sister wife who is provoking her, Scripture says, constantly. She's like making fun of her. She is picking on her. So here is this woman, Hannah, culturally. She has everything against her in this moment. Everything. No child, home life is terrible. And she comes to the Lord and it says that she was weeping bitterly and she was in great distress. Now, Hannah's pain, her weeping, her bitter, her pouring out her soul is what Scripture references here. This kind of inward pain was a pain that could not be comforted by man. If you read earlier, like just before verse 9, her husband comes to her. Hannah, what can I do? Hannah, I'm here to comfort you. And this pain within her, guys, is so deep. There's only one person that could possibly bring her comfort. is the Lord. And Hannah leaves dinner, and she goes to the Lord. And in verse 11, it says this. She vowed a vow and said this. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but, I will, but will give to your servant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. This is where things get really, really interesting. We know culturally she desires a son. She even simply says it here but She says, Lord, if you give me this son, he's yours. That's what is so fascinating about this prayer is that she is crying out to God, but she also recognizes in this moment, Lord, give me a son and and it's not even my son. I'm going to give him back to you. He is yours. And she recognizes who gives life. You know what is really, really fascinating in the world that you and I live in is the technology we have these days. Hannah back then is praying, Lord, I need a son. Please give me a son. And Hannah totally recognizes who gives life on this earth. But every single child comes from the Lord. Every single one is a miracle of life. And they actually... Discovered, which maybe you may or, or may not know this, but they actually found this out a couple of years ago, is that when the egg gets fertilized, a spark takes place in a woman's womb. It's highly fascinating. It's highly fascinating. Like the more science we have, the more we see this miracle of life take place. And here is Hannah. She is so distressed. She is so broken. The only thing she can do is that she can go to the Lord. She has no other options. But it's fascinating at how she makes this vow. And she says, This son I'm asking for, the one that will help me culturally, but also get this sister wife off my back. I'm tired of her constantly harassing me. She says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. I share this, guys, because we have to kind of get the picture of what is happening here and where and how God works in these moments. You can can see Hannah's tears as you read Scripture. You can see how she is utterly desperate. And for whatever reason, the Bible here gives us a lot of description. First Samuel is like describing Hannah's life. And then chapter 2 is Hannah's prayer. And it's like it spends all of this time focused in on where Samuel comes from. He comes from a place of just utter brokenness. But as she is praying, this is what I love. There is this last line, and I don't know if you can throw this one up there. It says, No razor... Shall touch his head. Now you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, that seems really weird. Is this kid just going to grow up to be like a hippie? Is he going to be like a surfer? Is he just supposed to have long hair? What's the deal with this phrase in here? And it's actually a really important phrase within Scripture is that she recognizes, she says, Listen, if you give me a son, Lord, I vow today that I will absolutely dedicate him and he is fully yours. And this whole razor thing, you got to look at the book of Numbers. The Nazarites is a group of people in the Bible. And this is a group of people that is specifically set apart for the Lord. And one of their requirements is, is no razor will touch that child's head. And so when Hannah is making this prayer she isn't just saying, okay, Lord, yep, I will definitely give him to you. She is literally making this vow, saying, listen, Lord, this child is truly set apart for you. Now, this is before he was even born, before anything. Her heart's desire was to have a son, and that son would be completely God's. He would be completely set apart. And if you read Numbers chapter 6, it gives that entire description. And you can also think about in the book book of Judges, Samuel's life. You guys know Samuel? Samuel, no razor would touch his head. He was set apart for the work of the Lord. And Hannah is just basically simply saying, Lord, he's yours. She is making a vow. And guys, I don't think that we really understand what a vow is these days. We know Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But In this time, when you make a commitment with your mouth, you are like bound to it. You know, there was no contracts back then. It wasn't like we needed lawyers involved here. When she says, Lord, I vow this child to you, she is 100% in on saying, Lord, this child is completely yours. But then we get to this other character, Eli the priest. Now, if you read the book of 1 Samuel, which I would encourage you to be starting to read the book of 1 Samuel because it is fascinating and it is exciting to see how God takes this boy Samuel and raises him up. But you, you will come across this character of Eli. Eli, the priest, sees this woman praying and I love his words. He's so encouraging. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunk. And he decides, I need to address this drunk right now. And he says, Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now, what is so fascinating about this is that this priest uh, makes this instant judgment call. This religious person should have like, had some sort of sympathy, something going on there. But he instantly looks at this woman and says, her mouth is moving. I hear nothing. She's got to be, she must have been drinking. She's, she's a drunkard. And he goes to her and he confronts her and says, listen, put that wine away here, woman. Like, get rid of, of that stuff. And what is so fascinating is that as you look at Eli, Eli was the priest of the time. This man should have been in touch with what the Lord was doing in this season, in the, in the season of Israel's history. But this guy is so out of touch with what is happening in this situation. And you will see later on, this guy is out of touch with all of all of Israel and what is simply happening there. He's got two sons that aren't worth a nickel in in the sense of many things, and they are sleeping with women at the temple. They're doing all sorts of sinful things. He never addresses it. He just kind of glosses over it, but yet he continues to reap the fruit at the temple. This priest Eli looks into this situation and totally brushes off this woman. And what is so fascinating is that this woman's child, this woman's child is going to surpass Eli in the work that God has. And it's so fascinating that where Hannah comes from and how this situation plays out, how she was just a desperate woman and even the priest isn't even in tune with what is happening. He writes her off. It's so fascinating at how this son of hers the son that she is crying out for is going to surpass Eli and be one of the greatest judges, priests, and prophet in all of Israel. And I share all this because, church, as I think about us, and you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, what's the point of all of this today? Why are you talking about the birth of Samuel so much? Because I think I think as you look at God's Word and why God's Word spends so much time on his birth story, because I believe that is a blueprint, church family, for how we should view our children. And you might be sitting there, well, Pastor, I'm childless. I got, I got no kids at home. That could be true. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, I haven't even thought about having kids yet. Some of the college students, I'm not going to pick on you guys, but you might be okay, so what is the point? How does that apply to us? Well, I think about us, church. How much do we as a church value children? How much do we believe that the Lord has a plan for our kids? When you come here on Sunday, if you minister to them, if you volunteer in nursery, if you do kids' church, do you view children that they are His? Do we view them in that light? Do we desire to see them be set apart for the work of God's kingdom? Somebody told me not that long ago that we've got a pastor shortage in America. You may or may not know that. If you want to fire me, that's fine. Good luck trying to find someone else. I will just throw that one out there. We've got a pastor shortage. And, and I was talking with this one pastor, and he said, Jeff, how, how often do we talk and encourage our kids to become ministers? How often do you see parents in your church encouraging their kids to become missionaries? How often do we encourage our kids to do and be a part of the work of God in their lives? Like full-time, vocational ministry. How often do we look at our children and see that God has a plan for them? Do we view them as being set apart for his kingdom, for his work? And guys, I just share this because I know culturally, culturally, we want the very best for our kids. And, and most parents, in most cases, they just want their kids to have a good education, to have a good work ethic, and to be morally sound in their life. That's kind of like a standard bar within a lot of Christian churches. But as you look at look at Hannah, Hannah like sets the tone and sets this bar and says listen this child if you give me this child lord he is yours he is going to be set apart for you and for you alone and i just think sometimes church and i get it i've got a kid my little girl is actually in this room right now and i was not expecting her to be in this room she was Jean, what are you doing in here what's going on we did dismiss the kids. Oh, I didn't. Okay, well, she is in here. But I think, about, I think about my own children. And guys, as a parent, if you are a parent, you know at how scary it is being a parent. You want the very best for your kids. You love them deeply. When they hurt, you hurt. When they walk through things that are hard, You are like broken for them, right? But what if your kid comes and says, listen, I think the Lord has a calling on my life. I think the Lord wants me to move to Yemen and preach the gospel there. I just think oftentimes as parents, we're so protective of them. We're so like... I just want the best, and I just want to manage this. And it's like, do we recognize where our children come from? Have you ever thought that your kids are simply on loan from him? They're literally, he has given you children to raise them up in his ways. And it's scary, and it's fearful at times. But I think, church family, the calling is just like Hannah, is to look at our kids and say, Lord, I want to set these kids apart for you and for your work and for your kingdom. Lord, help me not to hang on to their lives so tightly. And I get it. It is super scary. I remember when I got invited to go to Saudi Arabia for for one month. This was when I was doing doing campus ministry. And I made that call home, and my mom's like, you're not going. (laughs) I'm like, Mom, I, I met these guys. They seem totally legit. We got Mohammed and Arafat, and they said, I can come. This was at the height of the war. I'm not even joking either. And I was like super excited because the Lord had been working and, and the gospel had been moving forth. And, and my parents were just like, Jeff, this is like the worst idea I've, I've ever heard from you. But I think about when my kids asked that. And if, and if God's in it. How do we respond to our kids? And church family, how do you respond to the kids you see on Sunday morning? You may not have kids at your house. I'm not just preaching to those who just simply have got babies, but how do we as a church view our children? Are they a nuisance? Are they a problem? Are they a pain? Do we want to just go do something else? Or do we look at them and do we say, listen, Lord, you have given us these children. Church family, we've got 70 kids here. Think about that, 70 kids that we have a, an opportunity to influence them for the work of God's kingdom. But I just see too often culturally, and I'm guilty of it, so I'm preaching to me here, we tend to hang on to our kids really, really tightly. We tend to just, we just, we just want the very best for them, and the very best is whatever we think that is for them. And it's not so much saying, God, these children are yours. God, raise these kids up for your work. And I bring up that whole pastor shortage is because, guys, we don't have workers for his kingdom. We are a generation away of being no pastors are coming up. Like, try to find a pastor in his 30s and 20s right now. It's extremely difficult. And I think a lot of that is because churches have not been encouraging their kids into the work that God might have for them. You may have a kid here, that has a calling on their life, to be a missionary, to be a pastor, to do some sort of great ministry in their lives? And do we encourage that? Do we challenge that? Do we desire to see them set apart for his kingdom and for his work? I just say this, church, because I know, I know how difficult it is on the inside to let our, our kids go. But I, when I read Hannah's life, this desperate woman who comes from literally nothing. She has nothing. She just cries out to God and she says, God, if you give me a son, I will devote him to you. I make this vow, Lord, to, to devote this child to your work. And who do we get? We get the greatest prophet coming forth. We get the last judge. We get this guy that transitions an entire nation from judges to a king. That's who Hannah's praying for. And she has no idea, church. She has no idea how important her son is going to become. But she gives him to him. And she says, God, he is yours. And I just think, church family, that's our challenge today. As you view kids in this church, and when they're running around and they bump into you and you spill your coffee everywhere and you're like, are these kids ever going to be quieting down? Can we just get a hold of these kids? Don't view kids as a nuisance church. I don't ever want... I don't want that ever to be happening here. They get loud, they get crazy, they are children. Our job is to say, God, you got a plan for this kid. I don't know what that plan is, but I'm gonna trust you for it. And Lord, help me to encourage this kid, help me to love this kid. And yes, sometimes discipline them. You can, you can, you can discipline my kids anytime. <laughs> Did you hear that, Gloria Jean? In fact, Robert, just give her a spanking just right now, just for not listening. Thank you. Well, church family, that, I believe, is our challenge and the challenge that God has for us as we look at the life of Samuel today. At this time, I'm going to ask for you to, uh, to stand, and I want to pray for those who are getting baptized today. If you are getting baptized, I want you to come up front here you got to make the treacherous walk to the front. Come on up. We're going to line you up up here so the church family can see who is getting baptized. Bring the baby. Come on up here. Stand all the way up. What's the word? What's the word? We're going to the YMCA? (laughs) Guys, you just lucked out today. The Lord has provided a little bit of warmth. So... Everyone's clapping. I, I, I brought so many clothes that I was going to be wearing. But, church family, I want you to look at these people up here. They have committed their lives to Christ. They have said yes in following him. And my challenge to them was, hey, as a follower of Christ, like what I preached on last Sunday, getting baptized is you saying, I'm going to die with Christ. Romans 6, 1 makes that very, very clear. Do you not know that when you are baptized, you are baptized into his death? Because we get baptized into his death, we also are going to rise with him. Church family, I want us to be praying. I want you to be praying for them. And I want you to to join us at the YMCA after this. And we are going to watch and witness the Lord do a work today. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. Father, I thank you for each person up here, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, as they have been thinking and pondering this decision to get baptized today, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would seal their hearts for you. Remind them daily of your love, of your grace, and remind them, Lord, that they have come and they have died with your son, Jesus. And Lord, our hope is not in this world, but it is in the resurrection life. That your son provides father I ask this now in Jesus name amen amen amen